Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. This chapter is going to contain another one of those rich prophecies of Jesus Christ. It's almost like Isaiah read the New Testament hundreds of years before the New Testament was written, because his prophecies, you could cut them straight out of Isaiah and put them in the New Testament and they would fit perfectly. 1. As the former time made light the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, so the latter hath honored the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the nations. The places where Jesus namely walked were Galilee, Zebulun, and Naphtali. This prophecy says that the light will come to those regions first, because that is where Jesus started his ministry. He walked around the Sea of Galilee, and that's where he met Peter and Andrew, because they were fishermen, and they were two of his key disciples. 2. The people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. Dwellers in a land of death shade, light hath shone upon them. And this is exactly what happened when Jesus' ministry began. Israel was walking in darkness. They were walking in sin, and because of their rebellion, the Romans had control over Israel, and they didn't know who their Messiah was. But he is the light spoken of in both the New and the Old Testament. 3. Thou hast multiplied the nation, thou hast made great its joy. They have joyed before thee as the joy in harvest, as men rejoice in their apportioning spoil. Isaiah says that Israel would rejoice because of Jesus, and it did rejoice in his gospel. Even before he was crucified, they rejoiced when he entered Jerusalem on the donkey, and they shouted, Hosanna! For, because the yoke of its burden, and the staff of its shoulder, the rod of its exactor, thou hast broken, as in the day of Midian. The exactor is religion. Jesus always spoke against religion. That's the yoke that he broke off of us. We don't have to do ordinances to be saved. We have to have genuine repentance and walk in genuine righteousness, but we don't have to jump religious hoops. And that's why he said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's a lot harder to please the church and to please church people than it is to please the Lord. In order to please the Lord, all you have to do is obey His commandments, and that gets easier and easier the more practice you make. But you can almost never do enough for church. It's always another event, another committee, another retreat, another donation that you have to participate in to keep the church happy. But with Jesus, He only asks that you obey Him. 5. For every battle of a warrior is with rushing, and raiment rolled in blood, and it hath been for burning, fuel of fire. The metaphor is that after a warrior has won the battle, he takes his bloody garments off and throws them into the fire, and it's a sign of victory. Jesus is going to give us victory over sin because we're transformed into new creatures who no longer desire to sin. 6. For a child hath been born to us, a son hath been given to us, and the princely power is on his shoulder, and he doth call his name Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. 
It says the child is born, and the child is called Mighty God, Father of Eternity. The Son and the Father are indeed one and the same. Everything the Father is, the Son is. You see these words on Christmas cards every year, and they're also sung in Handel's Messiah. These are the words that prophesy the Christ to come, and Isaiah lived hundreds of years before Jesus was born. 7. To the increase of the princely power and of peace there is no end, on the throne of David and on his kingdom, to establish it and to support it, in judgment and in righteousness, henceforth even unto the age, the zeal of Jehovah of hosts doth this. Jehovah of hosts means God of angel armies, and the God of angel armies would create judgment and righteousness on earth by bringing his son to earth. His son would judge the poor, the needy, and the helpless by preaching the gospel to them and healing their diseases and forgiving their sins, all of which the Lord did with the poor, the helpless, and the needy in the New Testament. And it says that he will have princely power, and he does. He is the highest prince in all of the universe, and he has power over everything, good and evil. It also says there is no end to his peace, because there is no end to his forgiveness. We simply must repent, but he will forgive everyone who ever lived if that was what they wanted. Unfortunately, most people refuse his mercy and forgiveness. And he is from the throne of David because he directly descended from the line of David through both Mary and Joseph's line. 8. A word hath the Lord sent unto Jacob, and it hath fallen in Israel. The word is Jesus Christ, and he is called the word both in the Old and the New Testament. He is the oracle of God. Everything that Jesus says is what the Father says. Every word that came out of Jesus' mouth is the words of the Father. And he was sent unto Jacob, which is Israel. 9. And the people have known, all of it, Ephraim, and the inhabitants of Samaria, in pride and in greatness of heart, saying, 10. Bricks have fallen, and hewn work we build, sycamores have been cut down, and cedars we renew. 11. And Jehovah setteth the adversaries of Rezin on high above him, and his enemies he joined together. Starting with verse 9, his prophecy transitions into the present problem with the Ephraimites coming to attack Judah. The tribe of Ephraim said in its pride that it was going to destroy Jerusalem and then rebuild it in more grandeur than it had been before. They were justifying their attack on their brothers by saying that they could make Jerusalem better than their brothers had made it. Cedars are more valuable than sycamores, and hewn stone is considered more attractive than natural stone. The Lord was going to orchestrate all of this. He was going to cause Judah to get attacked because of Judah's sin. And Judah is a territory. He's going to use the Aramites and the Ephraimites to attack the land of Judah. 12. Aram from before, and Philistia from behind, and they devour Israel with a whole mouth. With all this not turned back hath his anger, and still his hand is stretched out. This book is kind of confusing because it switches back and forth between different events 
Now it sounds like it's actually talking about even a more future event when all of Israel is destroyed, and that will happen after Isaiah is dead. 13. And the people hath not turned back unto him who is smiting it, and Jehovah of hosts they have not sought. This sounds like the end times. History always repeats itself. The Lord says that he's going to wipe out Israel because they won't repent of their sins. And even while he's wiping them out, they're still not going to repent. Just like in the end times, when the wrath of God is on the world and people have boils all over their body and fire is falling from heaven, most of the people on earth are still not going to repent. 14. And Jehovah cutteth off from Israel head and tail, branch and reed, the same day. Isaiah is talking about a time when all of Israel will perish, and that was hundreds of years before Jesus was born. The Lord is likening Israel to a snake, because Israel betrayed the Lord, and he's calling the head of Israel the leaders who are corrupt and take bribes, and they won't pass honest judgment that helps the poor, and he's calling the tell the false prophets who only tell people that everything is going to be great, and they never tell the people to repent. 16. And the eulogists of this people are causing to err, and its eulogized ones are consumed. Just like in our society today, where at every funeral they talk about how great the dead person was when that dead person was an evil, wicked sinner. The people in Israel were doing the same thing. They were eulogizing evil people. And that causes the nation to commit sin because they think, Oh, this person's great, so I'll just do all the stuff that they did, and I'll be great too. And then everybody starts sinning. 17. Therefore over its young men the Lord rejoiceth not, and its orphans and its widows he pitieth not. For every one is profane and an evildoer and every mouth is speaking folly. With all this not turned back hath his anger, and still his hand is stretched out. When the Lord's hand is stretched out, that means either he's attacking our enemies, or he's attacking us, if we won't repent. And here it's talking about him attacking the entire land of Israel at some point in the future, after Isaiah's death. Israel will become so sinful that God won't even pity the poor and the helpless, because they'll be sinning just as much as the rich people are sinning. That sounds like the USA today. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or if you're living in poverty. Nearly everybody is practicing sin. 18. For burned as a fire hath wickedness, briar and thorn it devoureth, and it kindleth in thickets of the forest, and they lift themselves up, and exultation of smoke. He says the evil will burn like a fire, and it will be devoured in its own smoke. Everybody who practices wickedness, they will be consumed in the fury of God. 19. In the wrath of Jehovah of hosts hath the land been consumed, and the people is as fuel of fire. A man on his brother hath no pity. Whenever a land is destroyed or a nation is destroyed, it's always because of the wrath of God, and it's always because of the sins of that nation. The fact that Western nations today are in such a pitiable state, our lands are full of lawlessness, and there's chaos and riots everywhere, that's because of our sin. 
because we won't repent of our sin, the Lord is allowing our societies to go into complete ruin. He did this with Egypt more than once, and he did it with Israel more than once. And it says, The land will be so evil that when the Lord attacks Israel, Israelite brothers will begin to attack each other. They will feed off of each other in the most hateful way. They will take advantage and hurt each other just to survive. 20. And cutteth down on the right, and hath been hungry, and he devoureth on the left, and they have not been satisfied. Each the flesh of his own army they devour. Now I don't know if this is literally talking about cannibalism, but it is talking about when people use people as resources. There is nothing more evil than that when people are looked at as a resource, and you can do whatever you want with them as long as it boosts your own survival. At this point, Israel would be living like a bunch of demons, and that's what we see in most of the world today. We see people living like demons. They don't really care about others. They just want to use other people in one fashion or another. 21. Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh, together they are against Judah. With all this not turned back hath his anger, and still his hand is stretched out. Now it seems that the prophecy has gone closer to Isaiah's time, the time that he is speaking of to King Ahaz, saying that Ephraim and Manasseh are going to come against the land of Judah. And that's what Isaiah was telling the king out in the fuller's field. And this concludes Isaiah chapter 9.